Hi, and welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonnie Bell Ramatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that. In this episode, though, we're going to start pretty far away from Southeast Asia. Half the world away, in fact, in Austin, Massachusetts. The year was 1998, and the date was November 28th, almost precisely 14 years from the time of this recording. A black woman by the name of Rita Hester was murdered because she was trans. This incident led to an outpouring of grief and anger from her community. About a week after, a candlelight vigil was held, attended by a rather massive crowd of 250. The community fought hard so that Rita's life and identity was covered respectfully by the media, and they somewhat succeeded. This was the start of Transgender Day of Remembrance, or TDOR. From this point on, every November 20th, year by year, the day was observed in more and more cities, then more and more countries across the world. And for solid, if saddening, reason, According to the Trans Respect vs. Transphobia Project, from the year 2008, transphobic murder cases has accounted for over 4,000 deaths across the world. Out of this number, 349 of them happen in Asia. Grief and anger are beyond justified. This condition needs to change. One of the leading organizations striving for this change is the Asia-Pacific Transgender Network, or APTN, with whom we'll be talking today. APTN is a trans-led organization that engages with a range of partners across Asia and the Pacific to support, organize, and advocate for fundamental human rights including gender identity, access to justice and legal protections, and comprehensive gender-affirming policies in healthcare. Basically, they work to improve the lives of trans and gender-diverse people throughout Asia and the Pacific. Over the course of a decade, APTN has grown to become a credible voice for transgender people in Asia and the Pacific, working to ensure that their rights and needs are represented politically, socially, culturally, and economically. The network serves as a platform for trans people to advocate for access to health, legal gender recognition, legislative reform, social justice and human rights, and to share information and strategies with one another. APTN addresses trans-specific issues including vulnerability to gender-based violence, stigma and discrimination, risk for HIV infection, and health issues stemming from an almost complete lack of access to appropriate health and medical care. Oh, and yes, the terms transgender or trans is generally used as an umbrella term to describe people whose gender identity is different from their assigned sex at birth, including those who have not sought gender-affirming health services. My name is Noon Yuk. Uh, my pronoun is she, her, me, and the organization is based in Bangkok, Thailand. That's Noon Yot Muang, Senior Advocacy and Human Rights Officer at APTN. She is a Thai trans woman and advocate with an academic background in international human rights law. She has experience working with local and regional organizations on trans rights in the context of several countries in Asia, as well as engaging with international advocacy spaces such as United Nations Human Rights and Development Bodies. Hello, uh, I'm Eric. Now I'm based in Bangkok, but I'm from Indonesia. And that's Eric Nadir, 
communications officer at APTN and former marketing and outreach manager of New Narrative. He is a trans non-binary activist working on online community building for gender diverse people in Southeast Asia, that is the non-binary peer support group in Indonesia. He's also a creative strategist, writer and a transmedia producer arranging content production through different mediums, video, comics, visual arts, performing arts, native advertising, digital marketing, and guerrilla marketing. As we understand, uh, we are just observing, um, you know, Transgender Day of Remembrance. And I guess for that context, I guess uh, maybe we could talk about the trans lives in Southeast Asia. Noon, maybe you can give a little bit of background on that topic. Transgender people in Southeast Asia have been here for a really long time, right? It's not only like, it's maybe in the different type of identities, uh, in the cultural identities or in the indigenous identities, but it's fall into the larger umbrella of trans people. And actually the trans people in our regions have been facing the different type of like oppressions and also human rights violations uh, for so long. Identity of the people, either men or women or trans, is actually is like very diverse, right? And then the colonialism comes and imposes the binary structure to our, you know, societies, to uh, the way we live, to laws and policy. So everything's become more binary. There is also the laws, the legal legislations that impose in these regions coming from those era to actually criminalize. Um, sodomy and also to actually criminalize trans identities. And from there, the, this law have never revoked, right? So this criminalizations law is actually pressed trans community in these regions. A lot of trans people who commit to uh, sex work is actually prosecuted by these laws. It's actually burden of uh, trans people to be visible to be like, to actually, um, this allows trans people to live in these societies freely and contribute to this society, actually like fully enjoy, uh, fully enjoy the human rights of the people. Trans in these regions have been facing the, uh, the lack of healthcare, which is suitable for the transitioning process of trans people. I actually think that this is the discriminations because the government, the state, is actually provide the healthcare for men and women specifically, right? But there are no healthcare is actually um, compatible to trans life. So it's, it's actually systemic discriminations which happen in these regions. The healthcare of, for trans people is actually provided in only the public spaces where we actually need to pay from our pocket to accept it, right? So is this, of course, the discrimination? There are the situation of discrimination in terms of like economics as well. Trans people cannot access to, inf uh, to formal jobs, to formal employment, and get to access to the proper income, right? Many people actually get into uh, informal sector, uh, like sex work or those uh, entertainment uh, sector, and 
is actually contractual and it's not actually it's like reliable income, right? So it's kind of like the discrimination in some certain way as well. And also, I'm going to close this with the situation of conversion therapy and hate crime in these regions, which is actually very high. So we have, Epitain have the research uh, like from 2019 that there are the conversion therapy practices conducted throughout the regions. And this is actually the effort to change transgender people to come back to the at birth is actually in many, many ways, right? It's in, in the school, like, you know, corporal punishment against trans people, which is aiming to change trans people gender identity as well, or in the healthcare setting, in the mental healthcare setting, where the psychologist is actually trying to convince trans people to get back to the their own, uh, the, the gender assigned birth. The, that type of lot of practice is actually happening across the regions, and we are actually trying to ban it and make the government to actually provide some legal uh, instrument to ban it also. And also, there are a lot of hate crime with, uh, that we also know already, but it's not really well documented. But we know this has happened. Transphobic hate crime is actually is like take a lot of people, trans people life in this region as well. Just a little bit of background. Obviously, Transgender Day of Remembrance is to uh, commemorate, to remember all of these systemic oppression, all of these hate crime and transphobia uh, that is still with us. And as you as you mentioned, you know, we are facing like a huge systemic oppression here in Southeast Asia, but so does the rest of the world, you know. But um, I think, I guess my question is, what do you think, like, compared to the rest of the world, in what ways are the conditions of trans struggles in Southeast Asia unique? And in what ways are they similar? Epitain also engaged with the international movement in terms of trans rights as well. And we know that the mainstream agenda is actually about the legacy recognition where we advocate for the access for transgender to be, uh, for our identity to be recognized in the legal documents so that we can access um, to the services or to uh, social welfare more and more equally to the others, right? And also, um, there is also the work on violence, for example, the hate crime also that people would like to actually reduce the rate of hate crime. And also uh, the work on the conversion therapies is also happen uh, international, right? Internationally. Depolitization work, which is actually the campaign to advocate for the people to not recognize trans identity as the mental health issues, right? Um, we are not ill. So it's actually the campaign that happened worldwide as well. And also about the access to health and well-being. It's also the campaign that happened worldwide. And then when we talk about the uniqueness of the trans issue in our regions, it's actually about because our region is actually diverse, right? There are many cultural identities that can fall into the umbrella of transness as well, transgender reasons as well. And uh, there are also the intersectional aspect of trans identities to other marginalized identity as well. For example, sex worker, for example, 
the people living in poverty because the systemic discrimination that we have is actually uh, prevent us to access the equal opportunity, right? So this is actually, I think this is one of the uniqueness also whether because we are, most of us is actually a developing country. We are not the rich country, right? Uh, within this country, the gaps between the rich and the poor is wider than the people in the global north where everything is developed. They are also all the rich country. I mean, like we are further marginalized by the poverty and also impoverishment uh, by the and uh, by the fall downs of economic system as well. And this is one of the originalities is here. And also the criminalization from colonial era is also one of the things that I think is unique in this country because um, we. Uh, uh, in these regions because of like compared to the global north, compared to some of the other regions, we have this type of like criminalization, which is never be uh, abolished, right? And it's actually like press trans community for a long time already. So we actually suffer from this for so long com uh, and it prevents our visibility as well. And it's actually from the colonial areas that we face back to the town. So um, I want to follow up on that. You mentioned, you know, we have this legacy of violence, legacy of oppression, systemic oppression and criminalization from the colonial era. But at the same time, there's a lot of discourse here today that, you know, queer queerness and transness is something from the West, like, you know, something foreign. There's all of these things. So... Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, why is it like the, the narrative is just, you know, shifted that way? Yeah, so the queerness, the LGBTI word is actually understood, which is from the global North country, right? The Western ideology that's come to us, right? But uh, we need to be, we need to remind them as well whether... Um, the binaryism is also come from them, right? It's also come from the colonial era that they like brought to us like way years back ago. And before that, trans identity is actually more normalized, is actually we have the evidence that there were some of the uh, same-sex relationship that's happened way before there and is treated as normal as the other type of relationship. And also transgenderism has also happened back to the time as well. So it's, it cannot purely say that this is from the Western, right? It's actually, you cannot say because the this is 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 actually come from both, like, side, right? And it's, it's, it's not purely be able to identify that this is from the West or this is from the ourself, right? And also, I think one the other thing that I would like to say here about that also, it doesn't matter whether this ideology is come from the West or from us. No, this LGBT ideology, if it's embraced our identities, if it provides equalities to people, if it makes our society better and more inclusive and more embrace difference, we should not deny it. <laughs> so this is not uh, this is not actually 
the excuse to reject it because it's make our society more safe. It's make our society more peace, right? It doesn't harm others. So this thing should be. I encourage people to things about it in this way. Don't waste the time to argue, which is from the west or which is from the north, which is from the, you know, from anywhere. <laughs> But think about benefit of our society that we live together here. Gonna be beneficial for this ideology, right? And you know, and some other ideology. Even more harmful, or even harmful, even like treat people badly, and is make people lose their life. Why we don't looking at it as that different way? With uh, it's not about the west, the north, or the thing. It's about like it harms people or not. Yeah, I think that that's a great point that people often miss. You know, they argue about. Where this comes from, and what is natural, what is not natural, but they kind of miss the point of like being, you know, uh, providing more welfare, like you know, providing more kindness to people, essentially. So I think that's a great point to not really argue uh, about about where it comes from. I also want to follow up on your uh, on your point about the intersection of like uh, trans struggles and you know uh, oppression of trans people, and also uh, and their you know. Other marginalized identities, or maybe their cultural identities and stuff. So, could you maybe talk a bit more about that—the intersectionality that we have here, specifically in Southeast Asia? Yes. Uh, when we emphasize right uh, that trans identity is intersectional with other identities as well, for example, the cultural identities or indigenous identities, which means that there are more struggle, right? There are more multi-dimensionals of operations, right? So we recognize this health thing because if transgender, if we are transgender already, and we also the indigenous people, where also our governments or our state uh, authority doesn't recognize and also do some harmful. Um, Things to these communities, which means that the struggle is more severe, right? The, the 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 oppression is more severe. The impact of this type of oppression will be more hard to be addressed, right? So, um, so I think in our regions, many many trans of the trans people. Uh, also belongs to indigenous identities, right? And also belongs to some of the cultural identities. That's actually make us also stretch our work in the way more like critical to this intersectional identity or is intersectional oppressions. We need to actually think about. If we are belong to the indigenous identities, where we actually not fully accept in this indigenous identities, mm -hmm. so our life is hard already, right? And then we also uh, the government also try to grab our lands, uh, chase us to go out somewhere. Those struggle is even like add up to our of uh, the 
add up to oppression that we face and add up to our struggle, right? So um, that is actually everything thinking about as well in terms of an intersectional approach. Many of our community is actually, yeah, we, we may see trans or gender people in many sectors, right? In now today is more wider. People are in the you know formal work sector, people are in the entertainment sector, people are people are also celebrity in some way. But we have also the communities, transgender in the communities, which is actually come from the indigenous identities, have the cultural identities. For example, in Thailand, we have uh, transgender people, uh, people from the Northeast Asia, for example, or not Northeast Thailand, sorry, for example, who also face the poverty and also race, racial discriminations against them in uh, Thailand as well, for example. Or we have the uh, Hitra communities in uh uh, in India, who is, who is actually is like, who is actually uh, uh, get a lot of discrimination as well, but they have those type of like uh, support system within the communities. So is is uh, so their life is manageable and at that way, but. Uh, in India, also there are the some of the trans community who are not fall into the hetero identity. They yeah. face more discrimination, for example, or they, they face like different type of discrimination, not more, but they face this different types of discriminations. It's maybe, but um, also maybe the same discriminations, but they are also don't have the support system the same as the hetero community, for example, right? When we when we think like that. And yeah, and also um in the Pacific, uh in the Pacific uh, in the Pacific country, in the Pacific regions, transgender people also uh belongs to some of the indigenous identity. And so also they don't actually uh their 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 employment or their like work is not the same as the work that people in this uh in in this uh in 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 the Asia have been doing right trans people in the Asia have been doing they also the uh, do some of the architecture uh, no not architecture was well, so agriculture sorry they also do some of the agriculture that also impacted by the issue of the land grabbing and climate change as well. So that's that's what we have been that that uh, that that type of like intersectional aspect that everything thinks about a lot, and yeah, and also you uh, in Indonesia also they, you got, you also have the cultural identities right. Uh, in Thailand they have the cultural identity also which is Katoi. Uh, you may heard about that also. Uh, some of the um, uh, in in Philippines also they have like trans uh, trans penai also this type of thing right. So I think it's, it's actually it's like uh, people need to be encouraged to think about these intersectional identities and also indigenous uh, identity and also cultural identities more and more. Okay, so obviously it's a very uh, complex situation with like lots of intersectionalities and we can't really you know, overly simplify the problem and not to do that. But um, what would you say, like, if if people were to ask you, if someone wants to, you know, wants to 
do something or like think of this in a proper manner and they and they ask you um okay so what are the most pressing issues like how do we solve this so you got like criminalization you got you know all the hate crimes you have the conversion therapy you have all of these things right um but how do you think we can begin to move forward like what are the most pressing issues would you feel Actually, APCN have the our priorities, right? And is it which is come from the, um, the voice of the partner that we have been working with, and this priority is identified by our communities actually, and uh, there, uh, the work is actually now today is actually about, um. Uh, Provide the access to the legal documents for transgender people, which is respect their gender identities. So, if they, we have this type of legal gender recognitions, trans people can access the social welfare and also services more equally to the others. So that's one thing, and also try to actually advocate. For the state members, uh, for the state members, and for the um, for the country, for the governments, to actually uh, to actually um, cancel the criminal uh, the laws that criminalize trans identities because it allows uh, the police. Or authority to use this law to persecute trans people, right? And there are also the there are also the uh, banning of conversion therapy, and also uh, the mitigation of hate crime also that needed because we have actually. Uh, we we actually document many cases about the conversion therapy already, and we encourage and also we advocate for the states to to abolish this type of practices by implement by enact the uh, the banning conversion therapy laws, and also we need to strengthen the hate crime documentations because. When people trans people want to fight the complaint about the hate crime that they face to the police, oftenly it gets addressed in disrespectful mean to their gender identities, and also is some of the cases they don't even accept, and when people report, so and pursue any legal charge, right? So there's the need for. Uh, our community to strengthen the documenting set, uh, system and also change the legal structure to be more friendly and to accept those type of like cases that happen, right? And we need to actually have the pre uh, prevention measure to disallow transphobic hate crime to happen as well. So this is kind of like. Some of the priorities that identified by our member, and I think this is uh, uh, this is the things that they see is is the most pressing issue happen to this region, happen in this region. Okay. Um, throughout your activities, like pushing for those issues, pushing for those priorities, um, can you maybe tell us more about your um, 
either your achievements or, or also your challenges. Like uh, we have the challenges of obviously with for the trans community themselves, but for people who fight for them, for people who advocate for like legal reform and all of that, what would you say are the biggest challenges? The biggest challenge what we see is here is actually the growing of anti-gender um, effort, anti-gender movement in this region as well. Um, we actually uh, have some of the work, which is of advocacy, uh, encourage or like convince the government to actually do some of legislations. But now today, uh, the entire gender movement that happened across the world, including in Asia, um, there it prevent us to do so. In a lot of like the legal negotiation this day, the uh, the government always say something like, um, they they always try to reject the gender language in the legal documents, and it becomes more uh, trends uh, when we engage with the state state as well, uh, and um, is. Is actually uh, and 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 is really pressing right now, and it's become more and more uh, pressing. So uh, we are actually figure out how to do this type of how we can actually address this type of action. So that's the trend that we want to high emphasize here and make people know that there are some other people who works hard to actually prevent the gender inclusive language in the legal system. Do you have anything that uh, that has worked uh, against these challenges or is it something that you're trying to figure out along the way because it's a really rising challenge which I would uh, assume it is. Yeah, we are we are quite figure out about this and we we think that uh, we would like to work in the more uh, in the network that have been like facing the same of issue. Uh, our work at Division is actually uh, more with the feminist group who actually facing the same type of like entire gender movement as well. And also we work with the democracy groups, which is actually facing the entire, what is called the entire, um, the, 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 anti-democratic language is like far-right movement is helping. So that we actually working with them as well to actually see the the entry point that we could tackle this issue. But it's just in the thinking process because we, uh, when our communities doing this work, it's become more and more challenging also. Now today, for example, in Pakistan, uh, there is the situation of the people who our our partners, uh, our uh, the activists that working there, uh, facing uh, the witch hunt by the extremist group there as well in Pakistan. Because uh, let me give you a bit of background. Because back to the time, Pakistan used to be very progressive in terms of like trans right, trans laws. Right, they have the Transgender Act from like 2018-17, and then. Uh, it's become like the best practice like region-wide for a while. And then 
Now today, there are backlash against the activists who fight for this law because of the extremist group in the country uh, campaigning against the laws and against the uh, against trans activists in the regions. Make many people like trying to um, is make people like trying to hide or escape from the country for a while, and um, yeah, it's really like. Uh, it's so that it makes us think that when somewhere the trans right may be progressed already, but at some point when the anti-agenda movement is growing, we might face this type of issue also, right, in other places. So that this is really like um, the issue at the stakes for us right now. Yeah, and it seems like it's a it's a thing where you know it's not a linear thing right as 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 you mentioned we may have some progress in certain areas but then setbacks in like maybe other other areas other other regions other areas of policies and so on but i guess you know it's a constant struggle it's a constant fight and you've been talking about uh the you know the 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 fight for legal reform for policy reform and and all of that which which you guys are doing uh to an to an excellent degree uh, I want to turn over to Eric. Maybe uh, you you best uh, answer this. What about the communities themselves? Like, what do you think? Like, how how has the community been building resilience, and how has the community been, uh, you know, moving forward together in solidarity uh, in this fight for trans liberation? So, um, um, with the history of this region and um, all of the complication mentioned by Noon. I think uh, now we all know that the work of trans liberation is not an easy one. It's very challenging and it is a long way to go for the policies that um, criminalize and discriminate us to change. And even if it's changing, it's still um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of um, opposition trying to, um, to, 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 to reverse it backwards again. So with the current condition, I think, um, the best way to build resilience is to create support system to look out for each other and um, also constantly nurture um, new trans and gender diverse leaders in the region. Um, because if we fall to the lack of regeneration, um, I think not only in trans activism, but also activism in general, we have seen this everywhere that there will be a tendency for martyrdom where one leader bears the burden of this um, of this work of the systemic discrimination and violence, and eventually um, they burn out and leave the movement. So um, uh, we can say that trans organizations are working to address various systemic issues in trans liberation, uh, and that we need to have in mind that we have to take care of ourselves too. Um, I do think. Uh, personally, that trans liberation starts from within ourselves, which is also a long battle in itself. Because even even with already a support system in place, if we don't if we don't um, have the courage to to care for our internal wounds, um, um, our own liberation will not happen. And um, I'm aware that with current support system. Only the privileged can have access to it. So this this is why the access to healthcare, um, also including the mental health care and peer support system, is so important when we are fighting for the uh, policies to change to create more equal society. 
Yeah, and also some of, sometimes there are access to certain certain groups or certain like um, quote unquote help or healthcare, but when you approach them, it turns out that they're not you know they're either transmedicalists or you know have some kind of thing or maybe maybe they're they can be transphobic themselves and try to you know uh, we are unwillingly put into conversion therapy, for example, right? Uh, what would you say is the best way to like avoid these kinds of things? And like, what are the things to look out for and to know that? Oh, okay, so these are you know the, these are these are good. We're in good hands when we want to take care of our mental health here or there. Like, how would you differentiate that, especially for people who are new who don't really have a trans community uh, just yet? You know, they are looking for these things. But what would you what would you tell them? So I I've done my research. Uh, before, but it's in Indonesia, and um, it was when I tried to access uh, mental health care. And um, the first thing I noticed uh, when when I uh, tried to speak with these um, uh, mental health counselors is that um, so on one hand, on 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 you know on one um, one counselor said. Yeah, we are um, accepting clients and patients regardless of their identity. So I don't think that um, um, that's a good counselor or like uh, um, um, you know healthcare provider to go for because they are not queer affirming, um, and I don't think they know what what does it mean. So it's just that they want to be. Um, They want to include diversity, but without the knowledge of that um, of of you know the systemic discrimination that is um, affecting queer people and um, trans and gender diverse people. So um, um, I think one of the sign is not to go to the, that kind of um, healthcare provider, but on the contrary, there are, there are also um, healthcare providers who state. Publicly, or maybe not publicly, but um, you know, in the personal conversation, they know about like queer uh, affirming practices, gender affirming practices. They know this language, so um, um, I think this is one important thing to note. But also, I really think it is important to be connected to community and organizations in in your country, so that you can be referred to the right um, service providers. Because usually the the trans community and um, um, you know the, their leaders they know or hold the database for um, healthcare providers that is um, safe or at least you know um, friendly with the trans community with the um, um, least friendly countries, you know because they um, usually this access is um, they um, they provide discreetly. Because um, some of the healthcare provider also cannot state about their politics upfront because they might lose their um, license if the government council is uh, very homophobic and transphobic. They could lose their license, and um, and in one of my conversation with one of the counselors, they they also mentioned that. Um, um, To, to care publicly for the queer people, they can lose the um, their license, even though they're also um, queer and, and, and trans and non-binary people. So 
it is it is difficult um, actually to 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 uh, make sure that we are in good hands. But I think for the safest uh, method to do it is to be connected to community um, or organizations, trust organizations, trust community in in the country. Yeah, I think also, that's also a very uh, important point, right? I mean, sometimes people tend to think that you know, once you're when you're in a crisis, you go look for healthcare right away. And but sometimes we don't have like the uh, if we're trans, we don't really have the privilege of that since we gotta weed out certain things. So I think community is really important. You keep stressing uh, that you know, being connected, having people, and feeling that you know you're not alone. I think that's the biggest uh, resource for resilience right so um do you have any do you have any tips or or maybe you know anything you'd like to say about um how how should we go about conducting these uh support groups or you know communities or uh peer support networks and stuff like that could you tell us a bit more about that so at ptn um um in terms of mental health care we are working with a partner from india um um its name Mariwala Health Initiative. We launched a peer support workshop pilot where we invite um, our partners from organizations in the region to have skills to conduct peer support counselings in which we don't have a degree in psychology to do that actually. So I know from that workshop that um, peer peer counselling is um, like a way for the community to have Uh, to create a support system where um, um, we don't have to be an expert or to have a degree in psychology to 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 create a counseling sessions from uh, for the community. So in that workshop, we also highlight um, how peer counseling can benefit the community even more than experts because we know what it's like being a trans person uh, more than experts with the you know um, with the history of. Uh, pathologization that um, um, that that might be different in each countries, right? Um, from this workshop, we are also challenging challenging the old belief about um, um, the stigmatization of L- LGBTQ from um, you know the old belief from from the psychology field. Um, in this workshop, we also discuss the ethics of um, um, conduct conducting conducting the counseling. So there's a lot of you know um, discussions over how to do the uh, peer counseling and what's the ethics of it. What if what if we um, you know have like personal um, personal conflict of interest with the clients? Um, but this is an intense three days workshop, but it's a very great learning for those who attended. And actually, last August, MHI Mariwala Health Initiative. Um, is also announcing their own program, um, the first batch of uh, queer affirmative counseling practice training for those in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and also South Africa, I think. Um, but this one is for the mental health care expert to be able to take care of queer people. So, um, and I saw, and I also know that some health uh, practitioner from Indonesia had already took this training. Uh, from many years ago, and um, now MHI just um, announcing their own program to certify these um, mental health experts or even like the um, peer counselors um, to be able to um, create counseling um, sessions 
um, that is on on a standard that we that we need, right? Um, and um, also in our organization, um, aside with our work, aside from our work with MHI, on our last regional convening in in Bangkok, we also had a session addressing trans activist burnout with our partner, um, Women for Peace and Justice. So um, in IPTN, we are very aware with this issue among activists and in that session, we are practicing um, deep listening and peer support to using an anti-oppression framework. Um, at that session, I actually, I personally cried for 10 minutes in front of everyone attending the session. <laughs> so it was a very good experience and bonding session with a lot of activists. Um, yeah, I think if there's a follow-up question, Uh, Noon, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I would like to add uh, about why the reason why we do this type of thing, right? Because of actually, um, we have this project for us is actually not only about the like provide the peer support to the trans people or actually it's like conduct like short term thing, right? But we also, it's also actually fulfill our objective to con uh, to advocacy objective, which is actually is like, we would like to the state country government to provide enough resources, providing those type of like mental care, mental health care, which is actually friendly to queer and trans people as well. Because of now today, the resource is not enough. I would say the resource is not enough is actually don't provide or misconduct in many different ways and in more like pathological way, right? So we actually do this uh, activities to, it's actually like short-term uh, things because it's kind of like, because we don't have this type of access, right? So that we actually, it's, we actually try to engage with the trans people who actually interest to be the counselor of the other people and then be able to provide those mental health support to the other, right? And to address the gaps of like lack of resources. But at the end of the, uh, at uh, what is called in the long run, we actually hoping that the government, the health sector allocate enough funding, allocate enough resources to actually make the mental health care of trans people, which is compatible to trans identities and friendly to actually queer people as well, um, as a part of the government healthcare, universal healthcare. So which is, this is actually what we are aiming for. It's not, uh, it's, it's, it's we aim that uh, there is gonna be the policy change, there gonna be the system change. That's what we want, actually. Yeah, um, um, if I can add in Southeast Asia, I think um, there are more gender affirming healthcare that we can find in Thailand, but it is also not included in, in, in insurance, like uh, Moon said. Um, this is because trans healthcare, or more particularly the gender-affirming surgery, is still viewed as cosmetic. And I think the local advocacy group in Thailand is also working towards democratizing it. Um, yeah, but however, in many countries in Southeast Asia, gender-affirming care is still operating pretty discreetly. Um, yeah, Indonesia is start, starting to have some movement 
um, to 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 this access. As I know that our um, comrades in Indonesia starting to gather some healthcare practitioner to make sensitization training for healthcare providers for general health. Because even to access general healthcare, trans people are still hesitant um, to access it due to you know many many um, invasive questions, for example. So, um, um, so I think we know that many many trans people in Southeast Asia countries is still transitioning without the provision of a doctor because simply we don't have access to it and it's very expensive. Yeah, uh, I want to go back to your point earlier about um, you. You mentioned that traditional training in psychology might not really help because um, you know because you know they're not really queer affirming and stuff like that. And in a lot of ways, peer support can actually do better for the mental health care of trans uh, people, trans communities, right? But on the other hand, uh, there are trainings for that. There are, as as you mentioned earlier. So um, if like if if say if if I or if if a friend like really wants to help out uh, someone and and then you know we can't just like right away build build a group or like make make a group or whatever but there needs to be things that are you know we need to be careful about right uh, so what would you say are these uh, are are these points are are the like important things that a lot of people get wrong or like people without training can actually um, you know are are unaware of. What we often get wrong about um, um, when trying to support our friends and loved ones is to think that we are the savior. Because um, 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 and it 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 could also work both ways. There are people that thinks they need to be safe from themselves. So if you want to help, we can come from this position as it will create codependency and like unhealthy attachment from both sides. In the past. I actually, I had this mentality myself in both position, like I'm the savior and also the one that needs to be safe. So what I realized is when I come as savior, I'm taking the other person's internal power to, um, you know, stand up for themselves. And then I will be resentful when they are not doing their part and became burnt out. So on the contrary, when I come as the one who needs to be safe, I am hanging all my needs and expectations and even my identity to the one I thought was there to save me and become even more depressed when they don't meet uh, my needs. Um, so for me to be a good supporter is to be aware of the uh, power dynamics and like codependency that we might build and also trust that the other person has the power to stand up by themselves while also providing what you can do in your limitation. Um, then we should also let go of the outcome. Also, um, um, I think never help if the other person did did not ask you to help or did not consent to be helped because I think there's uh, many, many cases where, um, um, you know, we're helping uh, loved ones and um, they are in a trouble, but um, actually um, we cannot, we, we cannot force them to, you know, um, seek help or go to psychiatrist or go to psychologist because is um, from my experience myself, when I talk to counselors, um, one thing I learned is that they need to be the one to make that decision and I cannot force them to seek help. So um, on my personal work outside of IPTN, I was also planning to, to create a fund from my personal fund 
and uh, from some friends who are willing to uh, also help to create a free counseling program. But then um, I do my research and then meet the Indonesian counselors that are queer affirming. They also suggest um, that giving free sessions ultimately didn't work because oftentimes clients doesn't show up in the in in free sessions. So they come up with a solution that clients can decide themselves the price that they can pay as an investment for themselves. So I think it's um, 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 practically speaking outside of as organizations, if we are um, doing um, some work um, related, to, related to the trans community, and we, we are, um, you know, it's, it's very understandable when we, when we see like someone that is struggling and we want to help, of course, because we love them and, and we care for them, but um, there are actually like uh, a lot of things to be considered and we must know our own boundaries also. Um, so yeah, that's one of the tricky parts um, to be able to you know help other people, but also um, maintain boundaries and also believe that the other person have the is holding the power to be um, to save themselves. Yeah, I think I think that's that's one of the uh, thing that we we often miss. I think that's a fantastic point. Uh, being aware of power dynamics, being aware of these uh, saviorship complex that often arises when we try to help others and just creates a whole host of problems uh, in itself. And I do think that you know um, I do think that building hope, building this confidence that people can stand up for themselves, can seize a better future for themselves, is a very important part of like what we're, uh, of how we can move forward in the movement for, uh, for trans liberation. So um, speaking of hopes, what do you personally and as APTN hope for? Uh, what hopes keep you going in this, in this fight for trans liberation with, despite all of the challenges, despite all the difficulties uh, can you tell us more about what keeps you going? So I think for me, because I work in regional organization, I also see like activists in like um, um, global or regional um, context. I I feel hope when I when I when I meet um, other activists in other region. Um, um, you know, they are very passionate in their work. They are very. Um, you know, when they speak about what they're passionate about, about their work, like their their eyes lights up and they are very, um, um, you know, I we, I know that they are uh, really, really fight for an issue that they are, um, um, you know, that, that they have a focus on. For example, uh, with my um, co-workers also like seeing Noon, seeing Ha in, in, in their head crimes work is also um, making uh, making me um, more hopeful, I guess. And also with uh, my friends back home in Indonesia, I think I see hope when there are more and more um, new generations coming, creating communities, creating um, um, activities for, for the trans uh, movement, and even, you know, um, just like new circles of queer people is like, um, uh, you know, it's a good sign that we are now become more feasible. We are now um, 
now have more support system now people are not afraid to say uh i'm queer to their friends and um you know um they always look for each other you know there are more mutual aid than ever than 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 i probably know when i was like high school or you know when i was in the university now um younger people are um um you know are more um i think in solidarity than ever i think in these times even though you know there are more anti-gender movement more anti-trans law um um you know uh, prepare preparing to be passed but we i i have i have not seen this kind of resilience in the past so i think that's a good sign um despite despite all the conditions happening in the policy level no and what about you yeah i would like to come back to aptn visions right is um there in our website and it's actually say that a trans a society that uphold respect and protect the diversity of uh the diversity safety equality and dignity of trans and gender diverse people and when i heard about this when i joined the movement this happening right yeah there are like there is a hope that that type of society uh, would happen now today um, because now today we see have seen more um, government to actually uh, that actually more um, accepts trans identity in their legal documents also and we have seen also the change in the laws that happened across the regions for example the banning of conversion therapy in india the banning of and government in uh, the and i am sure that government in vietnam actually saying something like uh the con- conversion therapy is the violations of the human rights something like that uh and is actually should be banned. So I see that have like policy change is also happen. Also, there are uh, there are a lot of country that allows trans people to change their gender marker as well, uh, including Indonesia, right? And also India, Nepal, um, Pakistan as well. Uh, not given the despite of the backlash that's happening, but that type of process still going on. So. From when when I first joined, this type of thing never happened. Like, and I I don't see the hope that I I don't see is coming right. So it's actually something some change that happened from the tirelessly work, tireless work of the trans activists across the regions, and yeah, and in order to have that type of societies. Uh, legal gender recognition need to happen. Banning conversion therapy need to actually implement it, and also uh, we need to have like some of the mitigation measure addressing hate crime, and also the healthcare of trans people need to be a part of the universal healthcare within the country. So this thing, the this change, and also the activists having more and more activists working on this area like eric said give me that hope you know for the you know inclusive society to happen and 
I agree with Eric at the point that when we conduct our first Southeast Asia, uh, not not the first, our first after COVID, the Southeast Asia convening, we have seen a lot of trans people, younger generations, and also, um, you know, with the French mindset, the French uh, thoughts about the human rights, and with the really articulate and really um, equip of their human rights approach. I think I see the hope of the, you know, the people that we have seen in our original convening, um, the, the one that have been uh, here uh, in the movement for so long, but they are even more like strengthened, right? Their, their work is even more like strengthened and also the newer people that actually coming on board and do something sentimental and do something really concrete on the ground keeps and this type of communities that we actually facilitate keeps expanding. This gives me hope. So I think I think the change will come soon when we see this type of like effort established. Wow, thank you, Eric and Noon. I mean those are uh really beautiful there's a lot of um revitalization of the of the trans liberation movement there's a lot of like fresh new faces new thoughts and new um yeah the things that these things that keep you going on that note what can the listener do to support you i would say that uh, now today we have some of the ways to reach out to the younger act, uh, trans activists and also the new face of activists as well we have the um Trans uh, Amplified Trans uh, Fellowships Programs, Human Rights Fellowships Programs that we have, which is actually, uh, we're going to have the open calls like every other years to actually for the application of trans people across the regions who interest to work on our, uh, on, on, on the, the things that we have been working with, right? Human rights, healthcare, um, and also the access to justice that we have been working on. Uh, we're gonna have this type of like fellowship programs to for the trans people to apply and then participate in our fellowships uh, where we actually have different type of like training um, uh, methods to inform you about the, you know, movement building, uh, campaigning, human rights mechanisms of the UN. And after you graduate from our fellowship programs already, uh, the people who uh, they, you are actually invited to submit the proposal for the seed grant that you can actually have the grant to implement the project in your respective context countries as well. And yeah, and also we trying to, and we gonna engage you more with our activities also. Uh, we prioritize our fellows always, and then we connect you with the different type of like regional and international advocacy space as well from that program. So that's maybe the entry point that you can say to the audience <laughs> if you, they are interested to join our movement and and network yeah and okay. and, and all, all that programs is um always um informed to the audience via our channels so yeah we have also 
always posting new um you know new opportunities and if there's like small grants that can be used as an entry point if you want to make like a small organizations we always have um that posted in our our social media channels okay great uh thank you so much eric and noon will be um we'll be looking forward to the results of those uh, of those fellowships and all of these new um new energy that you guys will bring forward in in aptn with the movement for trans liberation in southeast asia that about wraps up our conversation with eric and noon of aptn if you'd like to read more about their fellowship program or find other ways to get involved go to weareaptn.org or reach out to them via their social media at weareaptn on facebook instagram and twitter If you're interested in hearing more trans voices for TDOR, check out the most recent artist response series on our website. There, I curated five artworks from trans artists and talked to those artists on their thoughts this TDOR and their hopes for the future of trans lives in Southeast Asia. Go to newnarrative.com and search for Transgender Day of Remembrance. If you're listening to this before December 9th, you can also take part in our flash fiction series under the theme of queer ecology where you can submit your story of 3 to 500 words which we'll produce in two languages in both text and audio formats. My name is Bonnie Bell Ramatan and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches. Brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.